Uh, we're in a subject that I absolutely love to, to talk about. And last service, boy, I was, I was going, the mouth was dry, and I couldn't stop. And, and I look up, and the pastor pitied me. He looked, he, <laughs> he looked upon me and said, Mel, take two. Take, take two. So, uh, so I could breathe, and uh, we could finish uh, what needed to be finished. But uh, when he told me that we were going to do, that uh, God was leading him to Genesis, and uh, he wanted us to spend a little time at the very beginning, I felt like a kid who was just told, you can go into that candy store and get as much as you want. Do as much as you want. Last night, you can ask my wife, I'm not kidding, at some point, I felt like that same kid that you, I mean, found around the corner, laid out on the street, uh, OD'd on pixie sticks, you know, or whatever, just... <laughs> Uh, I, I just, I, I was just out. I was just out of it because there's so much and um, there's just so rich uh, in here. So uh, I can slow down a little bit um, uh, today and um, really dig and dig into the word of God. Like I've said um, oftentimes, the word of God has many gold nuggets there and, and it's for us to dig, dig in and, and find those gold nuggets. And I said that last time, I think it was a couple of Wednesday nights ago and someone reminded me at the end, yeah, pastor, but once you find those gold, gold nuggets, you got to Make sure you give them away. And I thought that was spot on, you know. So there's lots of gold in here in these passages, and they're precious. It's very precious. And so um, get it, dig for it, find them, and make sure you think about giving them, uh, giving them away. That's your ministry, and that's what God has called us to. Amen. Lord, we bless you for today, and we thank you again for your um, grace and your mercy and your kindness upon us. Lord, thank you for that rain yesterday. We thank you, Lord, for how you know when we need it and how much we need and, and the why. And Lord, that was just, um, we were thirsty. Our souls, as well as the ground, was thirsty for your rain. So we thank you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for today, today's sunshine and the rain to follow, if, if that's uh, um, what you've ordained. But Lord, you shower your mercies upon us every day. And we bless you for that. We want to pause this morning. We want to clear our hearts and clear our minds to bless you, to thank you, Lord God, for those things that you've um, given us. We take nothing for granted. So now, Lord, I pray that you would clear hearts and minds so that we could receive what you would have us to receive this morning. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill everyone here. Lead us and guide us closer to you. You are a God who wants to be known, personal. And Lord God, we pray that we would do just that today, draw nearer to thee. We bless you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, <clears throat> um, Pastor um, started in Genesis last week, Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, and he uh, really set the, 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 the foundation for uh, chapters 1 um, and chapters 2 in, in Genesis. It's amazing. We start in verse 3. That's what we're going to pick up this morning, uh, where God's word says, let there be light. That's where I'm going to start. His word says, let there be light. It's the first spoken words by God in the Bible, and they're profound. Let there be light, and there was light. Well, I get stuck on just the let there be light part, light. Light is a cool thing. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting phenomenon. To this very day, we're confused about light because light has two natures, and we didn't like that. It was contradictory at first, you know, and still is. Light's a wave. It behaves like a wave. No, life's, I mean, um, um, light is a particle. It acts like packets of energy, and we've done experiment. We did experiments, and, and it showed or demonstrated, oh, it's just packets of energy. We call photons. No, it's a wave, and they're two different things. It's not. Um, they're very different things. At some point, we just had to bow. The physicists bowed and said, "Light is both." We say the dual nature of light. It acts like a wave, and it acts like a particle. 
an, a, a packet of, of energy, uh, an object like an electron, a proton, a neutron, neutron, we call it a photon. And so it's both. And we've bowed to it, and, and it was very uncomfortable initially, um, uh, so, but we had to do that. That's what it was showing. It's amazing to me how we can bow to that, two different natures, and not just different, little bit, completely opposite natures, light is. And we have to bow to that because that's what our experiments force us to. But we have a hard time saying that God can come as a man and have the nature of God and man, two distinct and different natures. And there are scientists who would have a hard time with that. But we bow to light. And light, uh, light is just that. It is really contradictory. And there are um, um, physicists today who still wrestle with what this light is. Well, I couldn't start today without my little laser light, laser pen. I want to show you something interesting about light. There's some cool things about light. One, if I turn this laser light on and ask you, can you see that beam? Can you see this light? Well, yeah, if you're looking up there, you might be able to see it. Or yeah, if you're looking at the screen up there, the Genesis screen, you can see that dot. But my question is this, can you see this light in between? No, you can't. At the, um, the only way you can see this light is if it hits something. If it bounces off my shirt, if it bounces off the screen, light is invisible. That's crazy. It's an interesting thought, and we don't think about it because we, we're in this room going, I see light. There's a lot of light in here. There's a lot of light in this room. You don't see the light. You see the light bouncing off of things. You see the light bouncing off of me. That's why you can see. We see because light strikes an object and reflects off that object. We can see that object. If I turned all the lights out and closed all the doors and shut all, uh, rolled all the blinds down and it was completely dark in here, we couldn't see because there's no light reflecting off of the chair or the floor or the person next to you. And so we can't see. We call that darkness. Darkness is actually the absence of light. Well, we see when light reflects off of something. Two things. I can see the light reflecting off of it. It hits the roof. It bounces off the roof and into my eye. Now I can see the light. But unless it bounces off of something, I'm not, it's not going to bounce in my eye. I can't see it. <clears throat> But it also illuminates the ceiling. Light bounces off the ceiling. I can see the light reflected back in my eye, and the ceiling is illuminated. Light illuminates. Light um, shows and light um, allows us to see objects. We can read light. We can tell a lot of interesting things from reading light. Um, white light that's coming from the fixtures above your head is composed of every color, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, all combined together all together. And when that, white, when that light combines together, it combines as white light. It, it's white. That's what we see. And so that white light is striking my shirt, and my shirt is made of a pigment that doesn't absorb anything. It kicks out. It reflects every single color. So that light strikes my shirt. It kicks them all out. All of them hit you in the eye. You see my shirt is white. This white light comes and it strikes the chair. This chair is made of a pigment. The cloth that's covering it is made of a pigment that soaks up every color except red. It kicks out red. So the red is kicked out. It strikes my eye. I see the, the chair is red. So in the physics sense, the chair is every color but red, really. It absorbs everything. It soaks up everything. It kicks out the red. And the red hits my eye. I see the red. That's how we see color, different colors. 
that shirt absorbs everything except blue. It kicks blue out. Light is fascinating. There's a lot of great things that we can learn from light. The light that's coming off this chair allows me, I can read it, it allows me to tell you the temperature of that chair. So, um, the, the, um, um, I can look at it in a way that tells me the texture of the chair. The light, com the light coming from things really allows us to gain a lot of information from objects. Well, that's fascinating. Light, what it is, what it does, what it can do. It illuminates. It allows us to see. Black, by the way, black is not a color. Black is the absence of color. So the white light strikes a black shirt. That shirt absorbs everything. It kicks nothing out. And so my eyes don't see anything striking it. My eye sees black. That's what we call black. Black is the absence of color. So anything black is absorbing everything, not reflecting anything. White is, just the op uh, white is just the opposite. White reflects everything. Well, color, when we see red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet color, there are colors that are out there that we cannot see. Do you know that? The electromagnetic spectrum is what we call colors. The, the, the visible colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, that's just a small piece of the electromagnetic spectrum. There are lots of colors. Our eyes can only see those though, that small band. But do you know X-rays? That's a color. Our eyes just can't see it. Gamma rays, microwaves, radio waves, those are colors. So in science, we call it electromagnetic radiation. The fancy word for colors. There are colors you and I cannot see. Infrared, ultraviolet. Honeybees see in ultraviolet. They see things that are there that our eyes cannot see. And there are other animals that can see in the infrared. They see things that our eyes can't see. They, can, they see colors. Those are colors. Do you know that when you look out, and we, if we made this room absolutely black, pitch black, so that we couldn't see anything, our military could, couldn't they? They come in here with what? Those night goggles, those night vision goggles? Because they're not looking at the color, the colors that we are used to seeing with our eyes. They can make a machine that can see the other colors, infrared, ultraviolet, other things. And so the room could be pitch black to us, but lit up to them. It's amazing. Light illuminates. Light makes known um, that which it touches and it reflects, uh, reflects from. Well, it's interesting to me that God said, let there be light first. Because this is the question I ask. Lord, what do you want us to see in this chapter? Do you know that God didn't have to start off Genesis the way he did in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth. To me, I'm thinking he didn't have to start that way. He could have just said, God created Adam and Eve and then gave them a choice. And then they blew it. And then all this stuff, you know. <laughs> and could have started the story from there, right? God made Adam and Eve and gave them a choice and then went on from there. But he didn't. He decided to give us Genesis 1 first. Lord, what do you want us to see in this Genesis 1 chapter? What do you want us to know from it? Let there be light. Wow. He wants us to see something. So this is, where, this is what I believe he wants us to see. He wants us to see two things. One, that he did it. He wants you to know and the scientists to know, the atheists to know, the non-believer to know, everyone to know that he did it and there's no other possibility. That's why I think he gave us Genesis 1. He, he spelled out the creation. He didn't have to. Day one, day two, 
Day three. He didn't have to do that. He took his time with creation. Why? He could have just spoke and everything just popped into existence and everything be there and everything just get started, but he didn't. He decided, I'm going to take my time. They decided, I'm going to take my time. We're going to create and we're going to, my question is, Lord, why? What do you, why did you do it that way? Why did you do it in six days when you can do it so instantly? Well, he wants us to know that it was him who did it. And then two, he wants with each day, I believe, to tell us something about him, something about himself. And that's why I believe, just me personally, believe that he decided to do it in six days instead of doing it instantly. At the end of every day, at the end of every day, he wanted me to know something more about him. And that's the way we look at it. So if you're a note taker and you got the notes uh, page um, from the booklet, or from your bulletin, I would take that notes page and split it in half. This is how I'm going to go today. I split it in half. We're going to go day one, day two, day three. That's on the left side of the page. Day three, day, I'm sorry, day four, day five, and day six are on the opposite page, opposite each other. For example, day one and day four should be next to each other, opposite sides. Day two and day five next to each other. They go together. Day three and day six, they go together. That's the structure of Genesis one. And day one, God says, let there be light. He creates light and then he separates that light from the darkness. Let there be light and there was light. He called that light day and the, and the darkness he called night, but he separated the two. Day one, there's a creation and a separation. And then he stopped. He just created light separated from the darkness, and stopped. Did nothing else. And by the way, that day, that day was one day. There is no reason in Genesis to take that day to be anything other than a day. Not a million years, not a billion years, not some eon, not some age. The text flows. It says there was evening, and there was morning. Day one. The Jews to this very day reckon their days that way. The day doesn't start at midnight. The day doesn't start at sunrise. The day starts at sunset. And the next day doesn't start until the next sunset. So sunset to sunset is the day. And that's the way the Jews reckon their calendar even today. They took it as a day. It was written plain. There's lots of arguments for why it could be longer and why it could be whatever, but the text is just plain. Evening and the morning, day one. 24 hours. That's what God set up. It's just plain, and that's the way I take it. That's the way I think it should be taken. Plain, unless otherwise indicated. So he created light on the first day, and then he separated it from darkness. Day two, he creates something else, and he separates, and then doesn't do anything else. Day three, he creates something, and he just separates. He creates and separates. That's it, and then does nothing for the rest of the day. God didn't do anything. He just sat around. Here's light. Let there be light. There's light, and he separated the light and the darkness, and he rested, or he, did, or he did nothing else. He didn't create anything else. He just created the light and separated it. Three days later, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, the things that the light is associated with. That was day four. Well, that's interesting. God created the light, and then he waited three days to do something with, 
with light. That's interesting. Day two. Day two, he creates the heavens. I mean, the, the, the expanse, the, the sky and space. Out, outer space, that whole, that word is used for both, the, the heavens. He created this, this, the air, the atmosphere. He created that and he separated that from the water. Water above, water below. But he creates this expanse that we call sky and space and he, and he separated that from the water that was below it and the water that was above it. So he created and he separated. Then God waited for three days. Day five, he filled that sky and that sea. Why did he wait three days? What was he doing? Interesting. For me, day three. Day three, he creates dry land. He separates. He creates and separates dry land and the water. And then he waits three days. He waits three days to fill the land. Well, that's interesting. Why did he wait three days? What was God doing? What was he doing? Just, he was just... I like that number three. That's all I'm gonna leave you with. I got speculations myself, but I think it's interesting. Day one, he creates something and waits three days to complete it in that sense. Day two, he creates something and he waits three days to complete that, to do something with it. And day three, he did the same thing. Creates the dry land and then he waits three days, day six, to fill it with things. Why would God do that? Why did he take days to do it? Why did he do it this way? Well, I believe, again, for two reasons. One, he wants you to know that he did it and that nature didn't. There's no other way. There's no other option. There's no other way. And he wants us to know a little bit about him at the end of each day. It's almost like he said, I'm gonna do this in six days so that at the end of each day, you can pause. I don't need to. So you can pause and think about it. Think about what I just did and what does that mean? And what does that show and what does that demonstrate about me and who I am? He chose to do it this way to let us know him. He is a God who wants to be known. And that is a wonderful thing. There's so many people in, in, who think, uh, you know, that there might be something out there, but unreachable, unknowable, untouchable. I can't touch him with my feelings and my infirmities and my, and my pains and my hurts. There's so many people who believe that. He is a God who wants to be known. And that's why he set up creation the way he did. Instead of just saying, boom, it's here and it's all here. He wants you to see something about him every day in, uh, in that creation. So that's what I want to look at. What he's doing each day in that creation and what it reveals about him and the science behind it. The scientists know what science says, what it tells us. They just don't want to believe what it's saying. There's no problem, we have no issue. Scientists and theologians have no issue with what we see, the data. It's the interpretation of that data that is the problem and that's the issue. It's the will of man that's the problem um, and that's it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at each day. We're gonna look at each day and look at what God is revealed revealed to us about himself each one of those days. So you ready Whew, to dig in? Genesis 1-1, Pastor Michael dealt with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Boom, it's here. God creates space, time, energy, and matter, and it's here. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare your glory. The heavens have been saying that all along, that God created, that there was nothing and then there was something. 
Science comes along and we say <clears throat> the, the Big Bang, um, um, there are lots of Christians who don't want to believe in the Big Bang, who don't believe in the Big Bang. I don't believe in the Big Bang. I believe in the big beginning. There was a big beginning. Um, God did that. Um, but not the Big Bang. But let me tell you what science is showing that they're calling the Big Bang. The Big Bang theory says this. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then that nothing exploded. That's the Big Bang theory. Do you think they want that to be true? They don't. They hate the idea of the Big Bang. They don't want the Big Bang to be true. They've been forced to swallow and accept it because that's what the science demands. Time had a beginning. Um, Stephen Hawking, everybody knows Stephen Hawking? Roger, Pen, Roger Penrose and George Ellis in the, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, they wrote some papers. They used Einstein's equations. Einstein's equations to demonstrate, they, they started from there, to demonstrate that time and space had a beginning. And it was just undeniable. The science is forcing us to understand that time began and space. The Big Bang didn't happen. The beginning didn't happen in space. Here's this big old empty space, and there was this Big Bang. That's not the Big Bang. The Big Bang theory says this. There was no space, there was no time, there was no energy, there was no matter. There was nothing, and that nothingness exploded, and everything that is was here. Whew. They don't like that idea. They don't like the idea that time in the universe started at all. And so Genesis 1 tells us, oh, it started. The science tells us, oh, it started. But now that's scary. That's scary because what does it tell the scientists now? What does that tell them about God? Well, if time had a beginning, that means God is outside of that. If space had a beginning, that means God is outside of that. He's not confined to that. There's no issues with God growing old. How old is God? When did God start? Now, that's an interesting question, but he's outside of time. If he created time, created this space, he's outside of that. I don't have an issue with with God and age and time. He's not confined to that like we are. That's what it says. It says that he is out in, uh, uh, beyond all that. He, uh, he's uh, not constrained by that. Sir Arthur Eddington, this famous astrophysicist, British astrophysicist, he said this. The idea that the world, that this universe, that time began is repugnant to me. That's the exact word he used, repugnant. That's terrible. Scientists aren't supposed to use words like that. If the science says this, the science says that, that's what it is, truth is truth. But he expressed what a lot of scientists feel, uh, felt. I hate the idea that the Bible is right, that Genesis one was right, that this universe began, because they want the universe to be infinite, eternal, forever. And that's interesting too. Scientists were able to say, oh, the universe, for a long time, the universe is infinite, the universe is eternal, it's always been here. They allow for the universe to be infinite and eternal. But then they have a hard time with saying God is infinite and eternal. Well, who made God? And when did God begin? And, when, and they, they ask those questions, but they're ready, willing, and able to accept that the universe is that. They're looking for a God. They're looking for something to serve. It's just not the God of the Bible, but the Bible says clearly it started, and that's disturbing. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, their, um, their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day, in, uh, day to day, it pours forth speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, there are no words where their voice is not heard. Psalm 19 starts off that way, talking about um, what the heavens are declaring to the people, to us. What's interesting about Psalm 19 is verse 7. 
All of a sudden, we're talking about nature and what heaven, uh, what uh, nature is doing, declaring God. But then all of a sudden, in verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Wow. I thought we were just talking about nature and what the heavens are doing and, 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 and all those things, the sun and the moon. And all of a sudden, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The uh, precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. He starts talking about the laws of the Lord, the precepts, the commandments, those things of the Lord. What is David doing? I like that Psalm 19 because it does this. Nature, God has given rules to follow. You will follow these rules because he is a God of order, right? Not a God of, of chaos. He's a God of order. He says, nature, these are the rules you're gonna follow. We're gonna call that science. I love science. I like the process of science. I think it's great. It's when we get our sinfulness in that and behind that, that it messes things up. But God says, nature, here are the rules that you have to follow. And Psalm 19, seven says, and mankind, here there are rules you have to follow. God's laws, God's rules, and they're perfect. Just like these in nature that, that nature has to follow. They're perfect, both. And David sets up this, this comparison between the two. There are natural laws that the, that the nature must follow and there are laws for man that he must follow, and it's when he broke those that he messed up everything. Relationship with God. And nature was thrown into a wreck also. Nature today, we're told, is groaning, waiting for the day of redemption also, to be put back, to be made right, to be made perfect. Man messed up, just, not just man, but man's sinfulness messed up nature. So when people have a hard time with, with, with nature doing these violent and disturbing and terrible things and, and destruction, people were talking about the earthquake that happened in Nepal and this huge tower falling on a church. They were in session in a church session and what is God doing and where is God and, and nature is just running amok and nature is out of whack too. And that's because of us. That's because of our sinfulness. It goes beyond just us. And so um, um, Psalm 19 is talking about what God has declared for nature and what he's declared for man. It's a great, great psalm. All right, now we can get to day one. <laughs> I'm watching the clock, Pastor. Day one, day one, what does he want me to know since he decided to take his time doing it this way? Okay, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning, day one, or one day. What does that tell us? One, it tells us God did it. God did it. It tells us that, um, that the source of light in this universe is not the sun, it's not the stars, it's not the moon. He's gonna give them that ability he gives them that, but it says there was light before he created sun, moon, and stars. That doesn't bother, that's, that's wonderful. What that's saying to me is, God is saying, I am the source of light in this darkness. In fact, he's gonna say, I am that light. Jesus is gonna say in John 8, I am that light. That light that has come to show man who he is and to show who God is as well. So he creates that light to tell us, to tell us more about us, to shine that light on us and to shine it, uh, to, to set forth who he is. But this is what he did with that light. Notice what he said. He said he used this light, he called the light day and the darkness he called night. So we've got this day and night 
day than night. There's no sun, there's no stars, there's no moon, no moon yet. He has created a universe that is confined to time. Time is now existing. And God is saying, I will set the clock in motion. I will set the tick in the talk. Day and night, day and night, day and night. The universe has a heartbeat. That heartbeat, God has said, you, you are in this thing called time now, and this is how time is passing by. Day and night, day and night. And he sets the clock in motion. He sets that. He causes the universe to be in that or on that schedule, that timing rhythm, day and night, day and night. No sun, no moon, no stars yet. He sets it. The heartbeat of the universe is going. That's what time is. Time is that which the universe has been called to flow in and to follow. God set that up for us. There is a time frame that the universe has been giving. There's this time, this, this rhythm that the universe and man has been given. And God ordained that and set that up from the beginning, from the get-go. That's why he did it before the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's not those that determine it. I, I, did a, I talked to you a while ago, um, a sermon called About Time, the moon and the stars and all that stuff. God set them to that rhythm that he set up first to let us know it's me. I've done this. The rhythm of the universe, this time frame that the universe is, is on, I did that. I set that up. And what does that mean? What does that mean for us now? If, if this universe is now on this, this scale, this rhythm, what does that mean in terms of what this light is and what this light is for? Turn to John with me. John chapter 1. In John 1, um, the, the, the disciple John the Beloved is speaking. He's talking about um, John the Baptist um, and, and Jesus Christ. And John the, the Beloved, John the disciple, writes this. In John 1, starting in verse 4, in him, that's Jesus Christ, or in him is this word, the word that was with God in the beginning and the word that was God. In verse 14, that word became flesh. We know in verse 18, Jesus Christ, he dwelt among us. Um, we know that's him. So that word, in him, in that word was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend it or understand it. That word comprehend or understand means to grasp. To grasp as into thinking about it mentally, to understand something is to grasp the meaning of it, to grab hold of uh, the meaning. Um, in, a, in a physical sense, it is to, to grab as into grab and to hold. The darkness couldn't grasp it. The darkness couldn't get a hold of it this light that was coming into the world. Verse seven, he, John the Baptist, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Verse eight, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. The purpose of light is to illuminate. It is to show. It is to show man. And Jesus in John chapter eight would say, I am that light which illuminates man. And God paints that picture for us uh, in Genesis. Turn to uh, chapter three in John, just a, a page over. In John chapter three, uh, more about this light that's there in this world, for this world, to show um, what God has done, his creativeness and who he is, and to show us who we are. That same light, um, look what it says about that in, um, 
in John 3, starting in verse uh, 19. John 3, 16, we all know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. Um, but read down to verse 19. Verse 19, it says, but this is the judgment. Here's the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That, you see that word? Highlight that, mark that, circle that one for you studiers. That word love is agape. Men agape the darkness. Isn't that deep and profound? That's agape. Usually we associate agape with what? Godly love, right? That godly love meaning unconditional. It's unconditional. God loves you. God loves me and it's unconditional. How I behave, what I do, whatever. He loves me. He disciplines me, but he loves me and it's unconditional. That's that godly love, what we call godly love, but the word is just uh, is, uh, stuck with, un unconditional. I'm there. Men agape the darkness rather than this light that God has shown for them. They are that committed to it. They are committed to the darkness. So don't be surprised and, 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 and even mad and angry when that atheist is, is bitter or yelling at you and calling you these names and that. They are committed to the darkness. Don't be angry and mad and upset when the world starts to marry the way they marry make laws the way they make laws and do what they decide they're going to do. Don't get angry and bitter and upset. They are committed to darkness. It's just the opposite. Bill Nye, I was watching Bill Nye um, uh, on, in that debate that he had a little while ago. It's a shame. He came unglued at one point, talking about who he was. I'm just a speck on a speck, circling a speck in a, in a universe that's just filled with specks. I'm just, and he became almost, um, it looked like he was throwing a temper tantrum at one point, he is committed to that darkness, that darkness of believing in evolution and that there is no God and he's committed to it. I'm not angry, mad, or bitter. In fact, I find myself being sad. I pity him. I feel sorry for him and for those people who are out in the world who are committed to darkness. They're, gonna, they're committed. They're there. But there are some that God has called that God has called and has called you to participate in bringing them into the family. That he gives you that, that he's allowed you to participate in their salvation history. That's a phenomenal thing. There's a few. Jesus said, look, broad is the road and narrow. There's two roads, right? This narrow one is tough. It's hard to get through that narrow gate. He says, and few there are that find it it's a tough one to get through. You gotta let go of everything. You gotta struggle and strain to get through it. It's narrow. There are a few who find it and you have been called to participate with God in bringing those few. Not getting angry and bitter and upset about those on the broad road. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to save as many as we can. But you've gotta understand and know there are people who are agape to the darkness. They are committed to that darkness. It's a tragedy and a shame. There are evolutionists out there that are just that. In John 8, again, Jesus said, I am that light. In John 9, Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Um, so God has given us this light to illuminate, to illuminate who we are and who he is. Um, and that's day one, that whole idea about, about the light. Fascinating. But let's go to day two. Day two, he creates and he's going to separate. And I know if I've, got about, I've got about seven minutes. 
I'm going to get to day three. Let's see if we can get to day three. Day two. Day two. Then God said, let there be an expanse. That's this sky. That's this, this, this space in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse and the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse the heaven. And, he, uh, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Listen. He creates, there's this volume of water and he, he takes his hands and he splits that water and he creates this, vol- this expanse in between. And so there's water above and there's water below. What's this water above? I don't know. <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. That, that's amazing. That's interesting to me. I don't know if it's the water vapor and clouds and, and all that good stuff or if it's water. It says water. He, he kind of divides that water. So now there's water above and water below. I know there's a flood coming. I read the story a little bit, a little bit ahead. <laughs> I know there's a big flood coming, so I know that could be, it could have something to do with that. It could be, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is, so I can't dwell on that with you. But I know he created this space now, and there's this expanse, sky, and space, and he created the waters and the, and the waters below, so he separated them. What's that all about? What does that show us? Do you know that today we do not know how the earth, how the earth's atmosphere formed? We don't know how it got here. 78% nitrogen, about 21%, about 21% oxygen, and about 1% other stuff, few things, carbon dioxide, water vapor. We don't know how it got there. We don't know how it evolved into that mix. And that's what we'll say, I don't know. God created this expanse, why? For us to sit there and say, man, there is no naturalistic explanation for that. We don't know how that happened. In 1950, Stanley Miller, he's performing this experiment to, to see if he can create the building blocks of life. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, the building blocks of life, in order to create the building blocks of life um, by nature, naturally, all by itself, randomly, without invoking God and everything, he's gonna prove that we could do that, that the earth could do that. So he said, okay, this was the early atmosphere. Some, some ammonia and some uh, hydrogen and some, some uh, water vapor. and some, So he created this mix, this atmospheric mix that he assumed the earth's atmosphere was like early on. Because he, and, and part of that, what's interesting about that is what he didn't include in there. In that early atmosphere mix, in his little apparatus or his setup, he did not put oxygen. He knew he could not put oxygen in there because oxygen loves those basic building blocks of life. The building blocks of life loves that oxygen more than they like each other. They'll combine with them, with the oxygen first, and destroy the relationship with the building blocks so the building blocks can't build up life. He knew that he could not put oxygen in there so the early atmosphere did not have oxygen in it, according to this Miller experiment. And then he ran this experiment, sent some sparks through it for about a week or so, and at the end of that week, notice at the, at the bottom of his apparatus, there were the building blocks of life. And that was touted as the experiment that showed that the materials to build life could come here naturalistically. And that's not what it showed. I'll tell you what was in that vial next time. Uh, but it was... It was <laughs> It was, <laughs> it's awful, the deception that they put out there. I'm gonna tell you exactly what was in there. But the atmosphere is what I wanna talk about. The atmosphere that he assumed, he assumed there was no oxygen in the early atmosphere and this is how it happened. He sent those sparks through it simulating lightning. There was lots of lightning on the early earth, whatever. But do you know what happens if there's no oxygen in the atmosphere early on? If there's no oxygen, there's no ozone. What does ozone do for us? 
ozone protects us, doesn't it? It protects us from, the, from dangerous radiation coming from the sun. No oxygen, no ozone. And you know they knew that? They knew that and they argued that and they talked about that back then. They knew that. They knew that if we don't have oxygen, we're in trouble. But we can't have oxygen because life can't form. We can't put oxygen in there because life won't form. And so the atmosphere today, that Stanley, that Stanley Miller experiment says we have absolutely no clue what the atmosphere was. What did God do on day two? I'm going to do this so that you know. And to this very day, we know that we, we don't have an explanation for it naturally. God said, I created this expanse. What about that water? And I'm going to start to close. What about that water? <laughs> that water down there. You know that that water, we don't know. The, earth is, the, the surface of the earth is covered by 75% water. That's crazy. That is unlike anything that we've seen anywhere else. The question becomes, where did this water come from? Do you know our best answer today is, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. We think we have an explanation. The best explanation we have is from comets. You know, comets are full of um, ice, water ice, full of water ice. There's lots of carbon. When, when scientists say ice in space, it can mean a lot of things. Carbon dioxide, dry ice, and water ice, all kinds of ice. But they, comets are water ice. And so they're thinking, okay, maybe the earth was bombarded by lots and lots and lots and lots of, of comets and it filled the oceans or it filled the surface of the earth or whatever. And, uh, interesting. So what we did was we, take a look at, we took a look at a couple of comets. Comets that are approaching, comets that are passing by. To our fortune, we can look at them and we can measure the kind of water ice on them. Do you know that the water ice on comets and the water that we have here on earth are distinctly different? And they're like, ah, oh, there goes that one, right? Right out the door, the, water, the ice is different. That water ice is composed, all of water is H2O, right? H2O, but sometimes one of those H's is a, is a heavy hydrogen. There's different kinds of hydrogen. There's, a hydro, there's regular hydrogen, there's heavy hydrogen, and then there's heavier hydrogen. The heavy hydrogen is called deuterium. And in our water, there's, uh, the, um, there's not a lot of deuterium or heavy hydrogen in those comets. There was a lot more and we couldn't explain the difference. But all we could say is, and they did say this, they're too different. We didn't get this water from these comets. Some comets may have fell on Earth, but we didn't get all this water from these comets, so today the best answer is, <laughs> I don't know, the sky, the Earth, the atmosphere, the water, the very water here, we know that there's no natural, we don't have a good natural explanation for it, but in your textbooks, or your sons and your daughters' textbooks, it says, comets filled the Earth with water. And we know darn well the issues that we have with that, but we still print it. I'm letting you know. So every day God is paused and said, look, I created the heavens, created this water. Now think about that. Think about that. Day three, I got something else for you. And he's gonna give us day three. And it reveals something about him too, more and more. Pastor said I can do a number two. And we're gonna do a number two. We're, I haven't gotten to the biological sciences. This crazy stuff called <laughs> e evolution, Insane. Let me tell you what they know, and I'm gonna close with this quote. This one, um, one pastor, I'm sorry, one evolutionist says this. He says, we know, swiping, Nobel Prize winner, George Wall, he says this. There are only two possible explanations to how life arose. One, spontaneous generation arising to evolution or a supernatural creative act of God. There is no other possibility. 
Spontaneous generation was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur and others. But that just leaves us with only one other possibility, that life came as a supernatural act of creation by God. But I can't accept that philosophy because I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible. Spontaneous generation leading to evolution. It is an act of the will. He has decided I am committed to this darkness. I'm just committed to it. We know what was proven and what was disproven. That's a Nobel Prize laureate making that statement, 1978. They're committed to it. Don't be surprised. Now, we're going to talk about evolution, the life part of it. I've given you astronomy and space. We're going to get to the chemistry and the biology. Boy, it's even stronger evidence for God. I'm going to try to prove to you next time that Jesus might even been left-handed. <laughs> I'm tell you, chemistry, his fingerprint is all over those biology molecules, biological molecules. We'll do that. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we bless you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you are awesome, Lord, and that there is none other like you. Lord, that you have the power to create out of nothing. And you, Lord God, have the compassion to want to know or want us to know you. Lord, that is an awesome thing that the creator of this universe wants to know me and wants us, wants me to know him personally. I bless you, Lord, and I thank you. Lord, I pray that your spirit continue, would continue to fill us with confidence, with compassion, with love, Lord, with mercy. Lord, we were created in your image. Help us, Lord God, to reflect you, Lord God. Reflect who you are to this dark world. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, God bless you.